Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. For some of you, I, I guess, I don't know you very well. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Normally, I'm in the Living Well class. Some of you I know really well. I mean, my, my kid and my wife, I obviously I don't know. Some of you I taught in Kid Town when you were little kids. Who, who, who did I have in Kid Town? Okay, I'm not responsible for how these people turned out to have their hands up. Just disclaimer. No. So some of you I know really well. Some of you I don't know well. I'm not sure if I should be welcoming you to class or you should be welcoming me, but... I'll welcome the visitors. If you're a visitor, welcome. My name's Chris, and you want to come back when Brandon's preaching, because I'm not the normal guy. But it's good to have you here this morning, um, and it's good to be here this morning. Like I said, normally I'm in the Living Well class, and it's a little different uh, class, which, which um, it's neat. It's a neat class to be in. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a poem. I'll recite a poem for you that, that helps describe the living well class. Ready? All right. Well, it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer felt it was hardly worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. It sure ain't much, but it's all we got left. I guess we ought to sell it, too. So who'll start the bid on this old violin? Just one more, and we'll be through. And then he cried out, one, give me one dollar. Who'll give me two, two dollars? Who'll give me three? Three dollars twice, there's a good price. Who's got a bid for me? Raise up your hand, don't wait any longer. This auction's about to end. Who'll give me four? That's just one dollar more to bid on this old violin. Well, the air was hot and the people stood around as the sun was setting low. Then from the back of the crowd, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin, and he tightened up the strings. And then he played out a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. And the music stopped, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, he said, now what am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with a bow. And then he called out. One, give me one thousand. Who'll make it two? Two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand twice. Now there's a good price. Who's got a bid for me? And the people cried out, Well, what made the change? We don't understand. And the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, It was the touch of the master's hand. Well, you know, there's many a man with his life out of tune, and he's battered and scarred by sin, and he's auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like the old violin. But then the master comes, and the foolish crowd, they never understand the worth of a soul and the changes wrought by the touch of the master's hand. And you know, so, so cor corny poem there. There's a song that goes along with it. Christine could have sang it. That would have been cool. But you know, one thing I am grateful for in the Living Well class is we have a place for everybody. 
And there's a lot of people whose, whose lives they're trying to put back together because they're that person who's battered and scarred with sin. And the temptation for all of us is to look lowly on people who, who maybe have been through hard times. Maybe there's things they've done or things that have happened to them and they're auction cheap to a thankless world, but not in God's eyes. So, so one thing that, you know, that kind of summarizes what I like to do in the Living Well class. We have five new Bible studies we just started. We've got leadership that's being developed. There's a lot of good things happening, but that's kind of my heartbeat is, is that we'll have a place where people can come and, and, and receive the touch of the Master's hand that way, so... So anyway, that's kind of where I'm normally at in the Living Well class. But it's good to be here with you this morning. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 119. And you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you like. I also have a handout for you to give you lots of things to balance on your lap. To try to write and read and turn. If I lose my concentration, it's because of the Raiders' Christmas sweater. I just can't. I can't quite. I don't know what to do with that. Like, uh, so, so, yeah. No, it's good to be here. I really love the, the, the Kaya class. I love it that we're an exception here at Midtown. You know, millennials aren't supposed to care about anything, and they're not supposed to be able to do anything, and you guys are just... Um, just rocking the kingdom for God's glory, and I love that, and it's good to be down here. So, so thank you for letting me come here. We're going to be talking in Psalm 119 about, about happiness a little bit, and there's, there's more to it than that, but if I had to just summarize kind of the theme and the focus in one word, it would be happiness. You know, the world markets happiness to us. Did you know that? The world is constantly selling you things and promising you happiness in return. Marketing consultant Bob Deutsch says that happiness is a hot topic these days. Scholars have recently noted some non-intuitive dynamics as to what makes people happy. And of course, Americans are always in the pursuit of happiness. He continues, marketers rarely if ever talk about happiness directly. But in designing digital offerings that promise an experience or when focused on building customer relationships, the covert subtext of most advertising should be the creation of a feeling of happiness. That's, that's what I, I, you marketer people could probably come teach this better than, than I can. Okay, But the world is trying to sell us happiness. Drug companies spend $4 billion a year on ads to consumers. In 1997, the FDA changed its rules regarding pharmaceutical advertisements, and now companies can advertise to patients like consumers. The Nielsen Company estimates that there's an average of 80 drug, hour, 80 drug ads every hour of the day on American television. And those ads clearly produce results. Patients are now consumers. Advertising has medicalized some aspects of normal life. And then they say, ask your doctor if whatever is right for you. 
So people come in and see me, okay, I'm, I'm a medical doctor. They come in and they say, listen, I've got bloating. Do you think this medicine is right for me? I've got fatigue. Do you think this medicine is right for me? I'm depressed. Do you think this, this medicine is right for me? And I say, well, listen, did you go to pharmacology school? Did you go to medical school? How do you know if this is right for you? Do you have you studied what the FDA says? I said, no, no. I saw an advertisement on television, and there was this couple sitting on the beach, and they looked so happy. <laughs> so I, I wonder if that medicine's not right for me, because I'm not very happy, and I never get to sit on the beach. They're marketing an experience that will bring happiness. Okay, so, you know, the, the world has its avenues through which it tries to influence us. It's basically the same that Satan brought to Eve, something like this. Listen, God's holding out on you. It's really God's fault. You're not happy. You should decide for yourself what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, and what will make you happy. Lots of different products, pharmaceuticals, philosophies as experts in the world, try to become authorities at the same time that they mock what the Bible says. They market happiness, and here's the thing. The results are dismal. One in six Americans take psychiatric meds, mostly for anxiety and depression. So that would be 30 in here this morning. 7% of all prescriptions written are for anxiety and depression. From 1999 until 2017, the suicide rate increased 33% from 10.5 to, uh, to 14 cases per 100,000 people. It's been increasing by 2% a year since 2006. So they're promising happiness. They're selling us happiness Okay, and at the same time that they're increasing their sales pitch, people are becoming sadder and more anxious and more suicidal. How about that? You know, if that's the best the world can offer, I would just say no thanks. Even if I wasn't a Christian and I just looked at the statistics, I would have to say something is wrong here. I'm going to be looking for something different. It reminds me of what Puddleglum said. Anybody know who Puddle Glum is? Raise your hand if you know who Puddle Glum. Okay, all the homeschool people, raise your hand. You guys seriously don't know who Puddle Glum is? He's the Marsh Wiggle. Puddle Glum, the Marsh Wiggle. No? Oh my goodness. Okay, I should know my audience better. Okay. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Okay. Anyone read any of the... You, who's read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay, so you know... Okay, so the, the Silver Chair is one of the books. I don't remember what number, okay? Huh? It's the sixth number, Braden says, okay? <laughs> and there's a story. They have to go... The, the heroes have to go underground to rescue the prince who's been enchanted by the queen of the underworld, Okay? She's convincing them, okay? She puts a sticky, sweet-smelling herb on the fire. And then now she's playing them a song, and she's convincing them that 
the overworld doesn't exist. So she said, well, explain to me what the sun is. You know, because they said, well, look, there's the sun. They said, well, explain the sun to me. And the kids can't do it. They're like, well, it's a big light that shines in the sky. She's like, oh, silly. See what you've done? You've taken a normal lantern and you've just blown it up in your imagination to be something grand, something to be worshipped. There's no such thing as the sun. They're like, oh, man, I can't really explain the sun. I don't know what it hangs on. I don't really know what it is very much. And, and so then they say, well, there's Aslan. He's the, the, the main hero of the story who represents Christ. He's a lion. They said, oh, no, there's no such thing as a lion. It's just like a big cat. Because we have cats here in the underworld, and all you've done is blown this up in your mind to be something grand and godlike. So, so, so she's convincing them that heaven isn't real, metaphorically. She's convincing them that, that in the empirical things is the only things that, what, that they can believe in with any certainty. Does that make sense? Does that catch you up in the story a little bit? You guys probably need to read those books. Just saying. But then Puddle Glum, Puddle Glum responds to her. This is what he says. So Puddle Glum's kind of a, a pessimist, but he ends up being very stalwart Marsh Wiggle in the end. Okay. <laughs> he says, one word, ma'am, coming back from the fire because of the pain, because he went and stomped on the fire, and now it smelled like mar Marsh Wiggle. Not herbs. Okay, one word. All you've been saying is quite right. I shouldn't wonder. I'm a chap who always liked to know the worst and then put the best face I can on it. So I won't deny any of what you said. But there's one more thing to be said even so. Suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those trees and the grass and the sun and the moon and the stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made-up things seem a great deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it seems, well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making, making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to, going to live like a Narnian, even if there isn't a Narnia. So thanking you kindly for our supper, if, you, if these two gentlemen and the young lady are ready, we're leaving your court at once and setting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I shouldn't think, but it's a small loss if the world is a dullest place as you make it. I'll tell you what, the world postures itself and sets itself up and tries to make the different, the, the different voices in your life authorities to tell you what to do and what not to do and what to believe and what not to believe. But when I look at the results, even if I wasn't a born-again believer, understanding the Word of God and having a relationship with God the Father through Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, even if that wasn't the case, I would have to look at what the world offers and says, this isn't worth it. This is dismal. You know, there's a lot of people doing that. They're just going about it wrong. There's no wonder there's a suicidal epi uh, epidemic. 
People are being lied to. They believe it. They live according to it. And then when everything falls apart, there's no satisfaction, there's no peace, there's no joy, and there's no happiness, they say, well, gosh, I listened to what they said. There must not be any. I did everything I knew how to do. There must not be any hope left. Okay, can I just say the Bible tells us how to be happy? It's not that hard. We just get immunized against the truth because the devil is constantly befuddling the chatter. Never turns off, does he? Well, we're going to be talking about happiness. We're going to be in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. This passage is a, at the heart of the Bible. It is an alphabet acrostic. All the LFBI students would know what that is. Okay? So what that means is, is, is it goes through the Hebrew alphabet. All 22 consonants of the Hebrew alphabet each have eight verses. Okay? So here's the 22 consonants of the Hebrew alphabet. It's read from right to left. So it starts with Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Daleth, A, and it goes all the way down to Tet, to Tav, I mean. So this is the Aleph, Bet, the alphabet, okay, the Hebrew alphabet. So each of these letters gets eight verses in Psalm 119. So there's 176 verses in, in Psalm 119, 22 times eight. The first eight verses start with Aleph, okay? So if we were to look at this in Hebrew, you would notice, again, it's read the other direction, you would notice all of the verses start with this same letter, with Aleph. And it goes like that, Bet, Gimel, Daleth, hey, and it goes all the way through the, the different things. We're in Aleph. We're in the very first one. And so... From the very beginning, we'll go ahead and get into the passage. Just, just read with me here verses 1 and 2. Okay, I'll read out loud. You just follow along. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. So as we get started, the first thing we need to understand, this is the chapter in the Bible regarding the Word of God. 176 verses. 175 of them contain one of ten words that's a synonym for the Word of God, for the Bible. Okay? 175 of the 176 verses contain some synonym for, for the Word of God. So in the first one, it's the law of the Lord. Okay? The second one talks about the, his testimonies. Now, I've got those ten different words. Um, I've got, I made some copies over here of Bollinger's Appendix Number 73, I believe, which goes through those ten different titles for the Word of God and gives some description about it. We're not going to be doing that. We're simplifying things this morning. We're not befuddling things. Okay, so I, I don't want to go deep and talk about that, but they're basically synonyms for the Word of God. And so this chapter in the heart of the Bible, which talks about God's Word, starts off with blessed. That word means happy. Okay? To be blessed is to be happy. That word is translated those two different ways 
18 times in the Old Testament the word is translated happy. 27 times it's translated blessed. It's the same word. Now isn't that interesting? That the same word for our happiness is the same word for our being blessed. Because when I think about being blessed, that's like something that happened to me. And being happy, well, that's like something that I manage. No. No, God will bless you. God will make you happy. And that's how he starts off. That's actually the first word if we were to read this in Hebrew. Blessed, blessed, happy, happy. This is what's at God's heart. He's a father who wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be happy, and it's available to us. So the, the first blank here okay, is we want to anticipate happiness. Anticipate happiness. Happiness is not the result of what others do or do not do to you or for you. Well, that's, that's good to know. Happiness is not the result of what others do or do not do to you or for you. Sometimes, I think we pretend that's the case. My unhappiness is your fault. Well, that's not what, what the Bible teaches. We're, we'll get to, to what, it, what it looks like here in a second. But here's what you need to understand. <clears throat> happiness is not the result of certain things. Okay, Happiness is not the result of other people. It's not what they do to you or do for you. If only, if only, then I would be happy. Well, what does God's word say? That's what we want, what we want to get to today. I think sometimes we feel like our unhappiness is someone else's fault. And we tend to hold grudges. I'm not saying bad things don't happen. But, but according to God's word, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. We need to, to figure that out. Happiness is not the result of things that are found in this world, by the way. Okay, let's go on. Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13 says, Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be, uh, be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Can you believe that God's people would forsake the, the, the fountain of living waters and then hew out for themselves at the same time cisterns from which they're going to be satisfied? Okay, obviously this is a spiritual, a metaphorical teaching. You leave the thing that satisfies, the ever-flowing fountain of satisfaction, and you walk away from that, and then in its place, you dig out a hole in the ground, a hole in the rock, which you're going to put water in, and then that's where you're going to find satisfaction. Well, God's spirit, God's truth, okay, that is an ever-flowing source of satisfaction. The things of this earth, when we dig a hole in the ground, literally digging into the ground, 
digging into the world to find satisfaction, that will not hold any water. This is a pattern that we go through, unfortunately, as believers, over and over again, trying to find things that satisfy in the world. It's a restlessness. It's a restless activity to try to find something that's going to bring about happiness, blessedness. Happiness and blessedness are available, but they're not found by digging down into the world. Happiness is not the result of knowing things. I think sometimes we, wanna, we want to know things, and then from what we know, we'll be able to, to be happy. John 13, 17 says, If ye know these things, speaking to his disciples, happy are ye if you do them. Happiness is not the result of getting or having something or someone. If only I could get a bunch of money, then I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Actually, you wouldn't. If only I could get married. Well, if you're all needy when you get married, okay, well, you're still going to be needy, right? Two ticks and no dog. I mean, you can only suck each other dry so long, right? I'll let you think on that one. <laughs> Happiness is not the result of social media success. If only I could get a lot of likes, then I would actually be liked, and, and then I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. Happiness does not come through social media. In fact... There's a direct correlation between adolescent depression and how much time people spend on their devices. The more time you spend on your device, and this was young, you know, a little bit younger people, but the more time you spend on your device, the more depressed you get. Did you know that? And then people just, they go back to it. Happiness is not the result of proper appreciation or treatment. So I hope you haven't been mistreated. I really do. That would make me mad if people were mistreating you. I hope you get appreciated at least once in a while that someone appreciates you know you for being awesome. But being appreciated and being treated a certain way does not actually bring happiness. Okay? These are all things that we seek after to try to find happiness. But people that are rich and famous, who get lots of likes, who have lots of money who are highly esteemed, man, just read about their lives in the Hollywood tabloids. They're not happy. It doesn't bring happiness. Okay, enough about what happiness is not. Because you guys actually know all this. Because you live this out. You're more in tune with, with social media and the marketing of happiness and the lies of the devil through all this stuff than I am. I'm, I'm like kind of an old guy. I, I just I use my phone to call people. I don't have to tell you that there's an epidemic of sadness and depression, suicidal ideation. I see it every week, it seems like. I don't have to tell you that, do I? I don't have to tell you that it kind of makes you mad to feel like you're getting lied to all the time. Do I have to tell you this, or do you guys know this? You know that. Okay, well, let's talk about how to get happy. Happiness comes from walking undefiled in God's way, the verse says. So the way, that's literally a road, okay? Literally, the way is the road. 
So figuratively, that's your course of life, your course of action, your mode of life. It's what you do. To walk, this is how you do what you do. So if your life is a highway, okay, how you walk that highway, that, that's, that's how you walk. It's what, how you do what you do. Undefiled means unblemished. Okay, so the world is a dark, nasty place. We should be able to walk through it without getting a bunch of it on us. Watch where you put your feet. Watch what you touch. Go through life without getting a bunch of the world on you. And then the law of the Lord is one of the, uh, one of the titles of God's word in this, in this psalm. So if someone wants those, I printed off 50 if anybody wants a literal copy of those, a, 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 dig, a, a paper copy of that. You can, it's also a free uh, download on eSword if you want to get that there. Okay, but, but here's what I'm saying, I guess, is, is you want to claim this promise of happiness from God. It is available to you. God has put this in the Bible because he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be blessed, and you can claim the promise of happiness according to God's word. It's right there. It's simple. It's black and white. We are going to be expounding on this through the rest of the sermon this morning. But it's not like the devil. The devil is always befuddling, obscuring, confusing, confounding, discouraging. And, and God's just black and white. He just wrote it down. And we have it, and it's preserved, and we can read it, and we can just trust it and believe it. Just like you could take a check to the bank, you can take the promise of God's word and just apply it to your life. So, so here, here's, here's the, the, the mindset. Ready? I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait to see what happiness, that is, blessedness in my life feels like. I can't wait to see as I follow the conditions of God's promise, how that promise is made real in my life. I can't wait. I'm anticipating happiness as I trust in God's word. I've tried everything else, and it's brought me to the end of myself. Well, good. Praise God. You've tried everything that doesn't work. Are you done yet? Because once we can just say, God, I'm going to trust you according to your word, and I can't wait to see what this is going to look like, that's actually what's called faith. Does that make sense? Is there anyone that would say, I can't wait, I need that. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's move on then. So Psalm 119, verse 2, we read this. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. So here's our blanks. We want to actively keep his testimonies and be all in. Keeping and seeking the things that this verse describes are not passive things that happen to you. They're active things that you do. Keeping his testimony. So like to keep something. Okay, in, in the Bible, we would see you're supposed to 
the garden was supposed to be kept. Okay, Adam, keep the garden. Don't let any snakes in there. Yeah, oops. The shepherds were supposed to keep the sheep, that is to watch over them, to guard them. Lifeguards keep the pool. They, they maintain it. They protect it. They preserve the integrity of that thing. You guys following me? Keeping is an action that we are supposed to be doing. It's not a passive thing that happens to you. Keepers are guards, they're shepherds, they're protectors, and we need to be keepers of God's testimonies. That means we're looking at our lives with an active, protecting, preserving mindset. This will become more clear as, as we move forward. We are supposed to seek Him with the whole heart, the verse says. So when we are seeking his ways. When we walk in His ways, we are actually seeking God. Let me say that backwards. We are actually seeking God when we walk in His ways. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like the whole what would Jesus do thing. Let's say that, that I wanted to walk with, in His ways. Okay. Let's say that, that, that we divided this room up and, and none of us were here yet, but on this side of the room is where people who told the truth sat. Okay? And on this side of the room was where liars sit. Okay, now Jesus is here. Where is Jesus sitting? Yeah, okay, Jesus is sitting over here. Now I'm coming into the room and I want to walk in his ways. Where do I need to sit? Okay, but here's the thing. I'm going to make that determination not based on a multiple choice question on a piece of paper, but I'm actually at the door right there. Actually, Christine's there, and we've been doing intermittent fasting together. And she says, hey, did, did you eat ice cream yesterday? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to be in trouble if I tell the truth. But then I look in, and it's like Jesus is over here. So what am I going to do? Am I going to tell a lie to keep myself out of trouble? Is the right answer the one that's going to keep me out of trouble, or, or, or do I tell the truth? See, I, if I'm going to walk where Jesus walked, if I'm going to walk in His ways, if I'm going to abide with Him, I have to do... See, if I want to draw near to Christ, I have to walk in His ways. If I walk in His ways, then I am drawing near to Christ. I'm, I'm walking where He walked. So the Israel team, they're all in Israel, 80... 385 people from our fellowship of churches in Israel. And, and, and being in Israel is super cool. I remember we were in, in the area of John chapter 4. And I was reading, uh, and, and Jesus stopped at the well because he was wearied. He was tired from his journey. And we were right there. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm tired, and we've been on the tour bus. I mean, if I had to walk this, I... <laughs> I get it. I walked where Jesus walked. And that's, that's the best thing about going to Israel. Man, this is, I, I've walked where Jesus walked. Well, listen, why don't you walk where Jesus walked today? When we do, we're abiding with him. We've drawn near to him. So when we actually, when we walk in his ways, we're actually seeking God. But seeking God's not enough. We're to seek him wholeheartedly, the verse says. Half-hearted pursuits are not worth pursuing. If you're doing it half-heartedly, quit! 
God hates lukewarm. We're going to talk about spiritual reality here in a little bit, and this will maybe make more sense, but, but what would you put on the gravestone of someone who went through his or, whole, his or her whole life just following a series of half-hearted pursuits? What would you put on their gravestone? Restless, then afraid? Never actually tried anything? I mean... Lived a boring life. I mean, what would you put on there? God is not a half-hearted God. Christ didn't go halfway to the cross. We'll talk about that here more in a minute. So we want to actively work toward happiness. Verse 3. Let's move on. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Okay, so, so back to this again. We need to walk where He walked. Abide in Him is what goes in the blank. Okay, so Will was all about the quiet time this morning. Who would say, I have a good, well-established quiet time in my life? Raise your hand real big. Okay. So there's something to work on, right? So God's already talking to you this morning. I, my job's done. I, you guys, <laughs> right? So your quiet time, you draw near to him. Okay? If not, then you're not drawn near to him. You are forsaking the, the fountain of living water. And you're just going to go through your day without your spiritual armor on. You're going to go through your day without a source of satisfaction for your soul. You're going to go through your day. It's no wonder you feel alone because you've kind of wandered away from the source of joy. You need to start your day with a quiet time. And it's not a perfunctory read a chapter a day to keep the devil away. Draw near to God. His mercies are new every morning. It's like a radio. Okay, check it out. If I have a radio and, 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 I, and I tune my radio to a certain frequency, then I can pick up that station. But if I'm not tuned to that frequency, I don't get, I don't, I don't hear that. You guys are with me, right? Okay. It's not that the sound waves aren't there. It's not that the frequency isn't there. I'm just not tuned into it. Every morning, His mercies are new. But if we don't tune in, well, then that's on us. Okay, so we draw near to Him in our quiet time. Okay, but, but the verse talks about, verse 3, it says, They do no iniquity, they walk in His ways. So, so when I leave my quiet time, I can't go get on the interstate and all of a sudden lose my salvation. You know what I'm talking about? Road rage and it's like, ah, no. Getting all mad at everybody. No, no, listen, I need to start by drawing near to the Lord. But as I continue through my day, what's it going to take for me to all of a sudden walk in a way that's going to quench the Holy Spirit, that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. So I need to be conscious of, of His abiding, of His presence. I need to be aware, verse 4, let's move on, of God's expectations. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently, verse 4. Diligently also is translated very, exceedingly, mighty. So God commands diligence. 
God is not a lukewarm, half-hearted God. See, if we understood spiritual reality, we would understand why God directs us to be in wholeheartedly. Are you in Christ? Who, who can say I'm in Christ? Okay. Uh, what percent in Christ? You that, who are in Christ. Okay, who's an LFBI student? Raise your hand. Oh, right here. Okay. You're in Christ. Okay, what percent in Christ? 100% in Christ. All of you in Christ. Except your, your flesh, and then, like, we could get into body, soul, spirit, and sanctification, and glorification, and all that. Okay, what books of the Bible would I look at? in the New Testament, if I wanted to see myself in Christ? Where would I go for that? Romans through Philemon. Okay, in particular, any books that talk about being in Christ? Ephesians and Colossians. Yes, very good. Okay, good job, LFBI students. You all get A's. Okay. I'm 100% in Christ. I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified unto me. I don't belong in this world anymore. I'm not a caterpillar anymore. I'm a butterfly. Spiritual reality, spiritual reality is that I am a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Okay, so when I live like someone who's not 100% in Christ, when I live like the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross has not been applied to my life, then I'm living a life that doesn't actually make sense. When I live a life like Re Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, talking about a literal lake of fire, when I live a life like that's not reality, then it doesn't make any sense. I can believe in a literal hell and not tell my family members about it. That doesn't make any sense to me, brothers and sisters. I can be saved and live like I'm lost. I, I can have righteousness positionally and then not have it practice. It just doesn't make any sense. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about Am I living in light of spiritual reality? We need to be aware of God's expectations. And because God's not half-hearted, because I'm not halfway in Christ, when I live that way, God's just like, that's not going to work. That's not the pathway. That's not going to result in blessing. That's not good for you. And he redirects us onto the right path. And, and if you've been around much, You've been redirected. I've been redirected. So that shepherd's crook, like, it's like, whoop, you get brought back. Whoa, God's like, okay, back on the path. And it's like, oh, sorry, God. He's like, yeah, just listen. That's never going to work for you. Just stop it. Just trust me according to my word. You'll be happy. Okay, so let's go on to verse 5. Verse 5 is, is, is kind of where I want to dig down just a little bit. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statues. So we need to arrange our lives. Okay, so you have your ways. They might be a little different than my ways. We all certainly have our passionate preferences. 
You're entitled to those, okay? All right, so let's just work through the verse here. Oh, that my ways. Okay, so for, hang on, stop right there. My ways. So you've got your ways. Have you defined them? Have, have you looked at your life, at what you do, and you've defined the different aspects of your life, and you said, this is my way. This is the pathway I've chosen. This is the course of action on my life, and I'm taking ownership of it. I've defined it, and I'm taking ownership of it. Have you done that? Do you have my ways that you can describe? Oh, that my ways, next is were directed. Okay, so one error that, that we have a tendency to develop, okay, is that our ways are undirected. So I've got my ways of doing things, but I never actually took the time to, to work through why I do what I do. I just pretend that whatever thought that pops in my head must be valid because it's in my head. Whatever feeling I feel must be valid because I feel it. Whatever decisions I make, well, that has some validity to it because I decided it, and we never actually stop and say, what's driving this? What is directing my course of life? Okay, so if you don't have an annual getaway with God, if, if you don't stop and think and pray and take heed to your ways according to God's word, it may well be that your ways have not been clearly defined. You're not taking ownership of them. And they're not being directed by anything. They're just undirected. So here's how the conversation would go. Hey, listen, sister, why did you say that? Why did you do that? Okay, and here's the answer. Uh -huh. I don't know. Brother, how could, that doesn't make sense to me. Can you help me understand why you would follow this course of action? I don't know. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. Undirected ways. Get rid of them. Don't waste your life. Oh, that my ways were directed. I know what I'm doing, and I know why. Hey, Chris, why did you do that? Let me tell you why I did that. It was deliberate. I've got references. I can tell you why. Okay? Look, at, look with me at a couple verses. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Talking about how the love, loving others fulfills the law. And that knowing the time, verse 11 says, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer when we believe, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 
Verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Wake up to spiritual reality. Both Romans 13 and Ephesians 5 are written to believers. Wake up to spiritual reality. Stop going through life, skipping across the surface, reacting to all your situations, and then not knowing even why you do what you do. We need to understand. We need to awaken to spiritual reality. We need to minister and to live in light of spiritual reality. God defines spiritual reality. We need to awaken to it. Okay, so, oh, that my ways were directed to keep. We talked about that. That is to guard or to, to protect, to preserve your statutes, the verse says. So letter C is no misdirected ways. So we said we can't have any undirected ways. There is a reason why you do what you do. You are driven by needs. You're driven by insecurities. You're driven by unhappiness. You're driven by fears. And as long as we buy into what the world says, that's always going to be the case. We will be those people described throughout the books of wisdom in your Bible, restlessly seeking for something that can't be found, looking for a drink in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. We can't be undirected. But listen, we can't be misdirected either. As long as you're listening to those voices, you're going to be misdirected. And here's what it says. Oh, that my ways were directed to what? To keep something. To keep what? Okay, so let's talk about that verse. I think when we, when we read this verse, the natural kind of, the natural inference is, is something like this. Well, I wish that the way I was wired innately was such that I would automatically want to do what the Bible says. That, that's kind of, I think, that's how I always kind of read this verse until I really studied it out. And that's not what it's saying. Okay? So if my way, which is literally road, which literally means, or figuratively means, my course of action or my way of life, if that's the way, that way needs to be directed by something. So there's forces in play that will determine my course of life. Oh, that my ways were directed, okay, not by promises that the world gives, not by things that will, no, so that I can keep God's statutes. Why? Because that's the pathway to happiness. That's the pathway to satisfaction. That's what results in blessedness. That's the kind of life that transcends my natural state, what others did or didn't do, what others did or didn't say, how many Facebook likes I get, whether people like me or think I'm a good person. No, listen, I can transcend everything on that plane and I can have a life that's blessed and a life that's happy. But listen, if my life is such a mess, I can't even seem to get my quiet time done. And, and, and I can't even seem to, to, to start D1, much less D2 or LFBI. And, and I can't seem to get to Bible study. My life is such a mess. Well, this is what that verse is talking about. 
Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Oh, that my life was organized in such a way that I'm going to do things God's way. Well, this actually gets down to your relationships, your career, your education, your time, your choices. And there are certain people whose lives tend to spiritual things because they've ordered their lives to be so. Right? Other people, they have their lives ordered. Their lives are directed by something, but they're directed by the, 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 the other voices. Okay? This pathway promises happiness but will never result. If we do things God's way, Okay, we direct our lives in such a way as to be able to, to invest in the spiritual. That's actually what results in the promises of God being fulfilled. So it, it comes down to things like this. There's actually a verse here in Proverbs 38, 30, verse 8 and 9 that I put as an example. Remove far from me vanity and lives. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, we would pray God... I'll take the riches, you keep the poverty. You know why the psalmist says, give me neither poverty nor riches? Look at the next verse. Lest I be full and deny thee. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. See, see. so, so the author there in, in Proverbs, I don't know if that's Solomon or, or that might be Agar actually. So, so the, anyway, listen, order my life so that I'm neither rich nor poor. That's my prayer. Because, God, I don't want to be immoderate and, and, and neglect you this way or neglect you that way. Okay, so, God, I, I need a career, God. Okay, well, what's going to be best for ministry? What's going to be best for your quiet time? Because having a really high-paying job doesn't make you happy but having a really good quiet time does. So do you choose your career based on your quiet time? Okay, do you choose your career based on the salary? Which one would be more likely to lead to blessedness? Which one would be more likely to lead to happiness? Okay, well, how many of you had a guidance counselor in high school or college tell you that? Listen, 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 you just need to do what's best for your walk with God and the ministry that he's given you. How many of you, raise your hand real big if your guidance counselor told you that. Right. <laughs> and we have an epidemic of suicide. Thank you very much. Okay. It's really simple, you guys. It's not complicated. Have I directed my ways to keep his statutes. I, I was uh, 15, I don't know, 8, 16 years ago, I don't know. We were over at Kansas City Baptist Temple. And I had two job opportunities, very different job opportunities. They were both medical, but, but different. One was a clinic, the other one was, was working in the ER. And I, I bounced it off Alan Shelby. Hey, Alan, which of these do you think I should do? And I went to explain to him my two options. He goes, stop. I'm like, what? I'm just getting started. I want to explain. He goes, no, listen, just do what's best for the ministry. 
And then I, I was seek, I was like trying to get more water out of that deep well, and he wouldn't give me any. He goes, that's it. That's my entire counsel. That's all you're going to get. Just do what's best for the ministry. So after a little frustration, I said, okay, I think this one's best for the ministry. And so I just started working in the ER, working shifts. Well, then the ministry here at Midtown just took off, and I needed to be here one day a week, and then two days a week, and then I needed to start shepherd school to get equipped for the ministry that God had given me. And the end result was I ended up being a pastor at Midtown Baptist Temple. I directed my ways to keep his statutes. I did what was best for the ministry. God took care of my, my job. I've got a really good job. I'm bivocational. It's not fun, but it's hard to complain. I've got a really good job. Okay, well, what about your job and your career? If it's keeping you from your quiet time, then are you really trusting God according to his word, and is it any surprise if you're sad? I hope you're not sad. What about ministry? Because part of what God commanded us was to, to take this ministry of reconciliation, to be a part of it. So what I'm saying is you can direct your ways according to the mission that God's given you, according to the relationship, according to the pathway that leads to blessedness. But we just, it's a, it's a simple matter of faith. Our hobbies, our relationship. You know, Midtown Baptist Temple's ways were directed to keep the mission that God gave the church. God said, you know, basically make disciples. So we just simply set up a structure in order to make disciples. That's all. God has blessed that, and this is a really good place to go to church. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to, uh, I guess, do a little invitation here. Do you guys come up then, uh, Uriah, typically? Yeah. So come on up here. What I'd like to do is, <clears throat> the, oh, by the way, the rest of the the... The rest of the blanks here, verse 6, you actually achieve happiness. When I get my life ordered, when my ways are directed to keep his statutes, then I shall not be ashamed. So you actually achieve happiness in verse 6. You need to acknowledge God's doing in verse 7. And then here's verse 8. We need to ask for grace and mercy. Here's the prayer for some of us. Oh, God, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. God, this is my heart. Oh, God, help me. Don't forsake me. God, give me a chance here to, to order my steps, my life, according to your word. So, number one, if you're not saved, if you don't know that you've been born again, then you're separated from, from God. Okay, sin separates us from God, and you need to confess your sin, accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be born again, be reconciled unto the Father, and receive his love. It is good to be loved to the Father. If you are saved, but you don't have a quiet time that's established in which you're drawing near to God every morning, then that's, then that's kind of the altar call. 
And you say, well, it's impossible because, okay, well, then you need to reorder your life according to God's word. Put your faith and trust in those things that God says results in blessedness, that is happiness. And then for some of us, it's abiding. I start the day, I've got a great quiet time, but boy, as soon as I get into the office and my boss starts railing on me, I'm no longer thinking thoughts that Jesus thought, no longer walking the walk that Jesus walked, and I'm not abiding with him because that's all it takes for me to walk away from God. Okay, And then for some of us, we probably do need to reorder our lives. We need to direct our ways such that we can actually, that we can uh, keep his statutes. So, so let's pray. Um, and I just want to do a show of hands here real quick. Is there any, go ahead, bow your head, close your eyes. Is there anyone here who would say, I, I need to be saved this morning? Raise your hand if that's you. If you say, I, I know I need to be saved. Okay. Is there anyone who would say, uh, I got to get my quiet time going? Okay. Lots of quiet time, um, quiet time. Anyone here who would say, I'm good at the quiet time, I'm not good at abiding with him. I, I need to do better with that. A few people there. And then how about rearranging your life to, so that spiritual things are in place, so that you can direct your ways? Okay. Lots of people. Is there anyone here who would say, I really struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts, and I just need someone to pray with me about that? Anybody? Okay, got a few of those. So let's do this. We're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we'll break up into to praise and worship. And Andrew, I don't know how, you know, if you and if people come forward maybe. Is that typically how you do it? Okay, then we'll just come forward, and this can be an altar, and you can just pray and deal with God however you need to. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And God, we're being sold a lie by the devil. Uh, God, and honestly, uh, you know, it makes us mad, and it's not right. But God, we want to be done listening to that. We want to be done with depression. We want to be done with suicidal thoughts. God, we want to be done with all that, and we want victory, and we want blessedness and happiness. So God, according to your word this morning, there's a promise that we can claim, and God, there's a lot that's been thrown out this morning. And Father, whatever we need to hear, wherever we're at, I just pray that you would take that seed and let it grow in our lives. Let us, Lord... We beg you, act on what you showed us this morning. And so, Father, during this, during this time of praise and worship, Father, help us to deal with you and get right in whatever ways we need to to get victory once and for all over depression and, and, and suicidal thoughts and sadness that come from listening to the enemy and, and what the world offers. So, Father, we need you for this. We love you. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.